a lot of entrepreneurs, they have this plan and they, they feel like they have to stick to it because that's what they shared on social media. That's what they said yeah. um, they would do in the first place, like changing plans and adjusting based on the circumstances and the new knowledge we have um, is one of the, I mean, one of the most important thing I learned, like this ability to, you know, adapt and adjust the action based on what's happening rather than, you know, based on what we said a few months before. In this podcast, I focus mainly on interviewing inspirational and insightful entrepreneurs, business people, creatives, and your story is one that has truly stood out to me. And so I really wanted to have a chat with you for quite some time now. Um, you're the founder and CEO of Reconnect, a luxury retreat developed on a private island in Indonesia called Buka Buka in an effort for people to reconnect with nature and as a result themselves and get away from their busy and stressful lifestyles. And you've also founded Hustlers Villa, which connects entrepreneurs and digital nomads in an effort to create a community of people um, that want to actively collaborate, live on their own terms and give back to the world. And if that's not enough, you've also cycled all around, around the world before moving to Bali and built a very successful e-commerce business in which you've managed to go from zero to almost a million dollars in sales in just under a year. All of this is incredibly impressive at the age of what, 27 now, or right? I'm, I'm gonna turn 20, 28 in, um, I don't know, I guess 10 days. 10 days. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ridiculous what you've managed to achieve. So, but my first question probably would be, um, where did that drive come from to create? Did you always feel that you've had these entrepreneurial tendencies? Mm, all right. So, well, before answering, let me thank you for having me in the podcast. I'm happy to be here, Jonas. Um, when it comes to entrepreneurship, I think I had this since I'm like at university. So, right, yeah. I studied psychology. Um, after studying medicine for a bit and it wasn't for me, went to psychology and then the, the pace was, you know, way slower than in medicine. Um, yeah. And I just happened to be bored and, you know, wanted to find ways, you know, to use my time, um, you know, in nice ways. Um, and I just randomly happened to, you know, be a copywriting freelancer. Uh, that's the first things I did, you know, on my own working online. Uh, well, basically on my laptop from my bed. <laughs> yeah. Um, started with that. Um, I was mm, 18 or 19 years old. That was the first thing I did that looked like entrepreneurship. Yep. Yeah. Um, did you understand then, that that's entrepreneurship at that point? Is that, that did you understand what, what's the tendency? Um, it was, no, at this time it was just me trying to just, you know, make some cash online. And yeah. I liked the idea that I would, I was making more money than some of my teachers at university, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was that was that the was that the tipping point for you then that you when you realized, oh, I actually can do this on my own. I don't need to work for anybody. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a first step. It wasn't like like the full realization, but it was it was a first step. You know, I mean, I didn't have the confidence of uh, me being able to replicate that to do it again. Um, you know, I didn't really know. I was just enjoying it and I was happy I, I was given the chance to do that. 
Um, and then like the year after that, I, I, I moved forward. Uh, I mean, I was, I, I still did that and I started to have my own um, even organization company. So I was organizing uh, basically parties for students um, yeah. in a way that, you know, wasn't done before. So I was connecting the, the universities and school, business schools and everything with the nightclubs and bars. And we pre-negotiated everything for them. So it was a no-brainer for them to organize all their events. And yeah. we would get paid. It was free for them and we would get paid by um, the bars and the nightclubs back then, um, you know, to bring people there. Um, and that worked, like, very well. Um, we were yeah. doing, like, two, two to three events per week uh, at some point. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. That was yeah. really, really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that one was, like, another step. You know, it was like, oh, I can actually, you know, organize things and have things in my mind and making them happen in the real world. Um, yeah. And that was another very, very strong step for me, you know, in the realization that I can do things on my own uh, and make money for it, for doing yeah. that. So was it, was it a case of like your appetite just keeps growing because you can, you keep seeing that you can do more and more and more and achieve greater things as, as a result? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is like none of those was like very fulfilling businesses. Um, yeah. It was fine. I, I learned a lot by doing so. That, that's where I learned all of my, you know, basics, you know, entrepreneurship-wise. Um, but after that came the point when I decided to travel and and travel by bicycle, mm. um, which was about it was called startup cycling. So I was I was meeting startup CEOs on the way, um, learning from them and writing about the story. However, I wasn't really like building a business by doing so i was kind of like surviving uh i was sleeping in the tent or hammock and i was um yeah. i would open my laptop and make like a few you know websites to get some cash and keep going on yeah. good thing was like i wasn't spending money i mean like traveling was you know was by bicycle i was sleeping in yeah. my tent so i would spend money for you know food and like stuff like that so i was living with uh it was seven euros per day something like that Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was fairly cheap and I just needed to make a few you know landing pages or websites or stuff like that to um, you know get going and fund my, my own travels so through through this trip you've you said you've met like hundreds of CEOs and founders and, and business people right was there hundred yeah Mm-mm. was that was yeah. that was there like some piece of advice or something like that that really stuck with you from meeting those people um actually the main thing that came from meeting these people was more something about me than something that they said was that so at this time i was i realized that so i had this project right um it was cycling and meeting startup ceos and i mean I learned a lot of things from them because I learned from their personal stories, where they came from, how they had these ideas and everything. And I mean, you see a lot of different cases and ways people can be you know, successful at doing their business. There is not like one and only one way. And at some point I realized that, you know, meeting Ducios was amazing. However, I wanted more to focus on the traveling part and being with myself and finding my own way rather than meeting with people constantly uh, because I had to because it was the project. Um, yeah. And I guess like the main thing that I learned was like, it's fine to change plans. And it's not directly related to what they told me, but it's like, 
I changed plans constantly when I was doing this trip by bicycle. Um, I was supposed to go to Asia after Europe, but actually I went to USA. I was supposed to go to San Francisco, but then I went to New York, you know. And yeah. I changed plans constantly because I felt like that was the right thing to do for me at that time. Um, like when I arrived in Budapest and I was running out of money, and instead of just staying like staying three to five days with a friend of mine, we decided to organize a startup house to rent the biggest flat we found in Budapest and to be with 17 entrepreneurs for a month. And yeah. that actually helped me fund um, my flight ticket to USA. Nice. You know, and that was another example of me changing plans. And that's the main thing I learned. Um, that is, I mean, that's an entrepreneur thing. Like a lot of entrepreneurs, they have this plan and they, they feel like they have to stick to it because that's what they shared on social media. That's what they said yeah. um, they would do in the first place, like changing plans and adjusting based on the circumstances and the new knowledge we have um, is one of the, I mean, one of the most important things I learned, like this ability to, you know, adapt and adjust the action based on what's happening rather than, you know, based on what we said a few months before. Yeah. It's quite, it's quite hard to sort of, you know, it's, it's a funny thing you mentioned because you, through social media and everything, like we, we tend to, especially the younger generation, we tend to record everything, talk about everything, document the journey and everything like that. And Obviously, if you, as you say, like change plans, it can be seen as, oh, he failed at this thing and people, tr you know, yep. tend to try to avoid that. Um, I think it, it takes some sort of a, like a specific mindset to truly understand that you're a, an entrepreneur, right? And, and it feels like one of the things that is this kind of one, open-mindedness and second is kind of don't not overthinking things am i am i being correct is that is that the main thing you would say in terms of mindset that needs to entrepreneurs need to have yeah um it's i think it's about resilience in some ways like mm. like as an entrepreneur you're pushing things out there in the world right and you need to receive you know the feedback you're getting from it how how your market is reacting how your investors are reacting how you know like how things going out like cash flow wise you need to be aware of all of those things around the business and around yourself and to understand what is the best thing to do right now based on what you can observe after what you've done so it takes quite some you know resilience and you know being able to accept what's actually happening rather than doing things because you said you would do them in the first place yeah yeah how much do you think um, the amount of hours that you put in into doing something, right? There's this thing like um, I keep thinking about, you know, the Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week and then Gary Vaynerchuk's preaching on hustling and 20 hours per day working and stuff like that. Um, did you notice yourself what works best for you? And do you agree with any of those kind of methodologies, I guess? Um, yeah, I understand. I'd say, well, first it depends what type of business you're, 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 you're doing, right? Um, yeah. like Gary Vee and Tim Ferriss are not doing the same things at all. And both of them are very successful in what they're doing. So I definitely think there's no, you know, one single way to do things. It's mm -hmm. all about. It's all, I mean, in the end of the day, it's all about choosing your pains. Um, that's a concept I really like. It's like Gary Vee actually chose 
this thing of like working, say, 20 hours a day or whatever amount of hours a day, because that is his things. That's what makes that that is what feels right for him, you know, in his business. And that's, you know, he's in advertising, marketing and like all of these things, documenting whatever he's doing. He he's driven by that. But some of the people just thrive, you know, by having what is called like a, like these <clears throat> lifestyle businesses, right? Um, they just make, you know, the amount of money they decide to make and they're just like working a few hours a day or a few days a week and they're fine with that. Um, for me personally, it also depends on what I'm building. Um, mm. I'm definitely not the type of person who's going to work 12 hours a day uh, because I think it's very inefficient. Um, I'd rather work two hours a day and being amazing at what I'm doing for two hours rather than yeah. 12 hours and being mediocre. Um, yeah. And in the end of the day, the decisions I'm taking after, say, six hours are far less, you know, accurate and on point than the decision I'm taking when I know I have two hours to work and I'm like very focused for two hours. Now, yeah. Just an example, I'm not saying I'm working two hours, I'm working um, more than that. And... And some things that people consider as working, I consider them as just like, you know, playing around with ideas. Yeah, um, it's just part of your day, depends. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it also depends what you put behind the word working, right? Mm -hmm. um, for me, it's like, I mean, I'm doing this because I love it. Um, I don't need to make money from it uh, for doing it. I would be fine without. I just like this idea of having something in my mind and making it happen in the world. Yeah. Uh, turns out that the best way to do that is um, to make it uh, like around the business, right? Um, and I like this idea of making a business, but for me personally, I don't have the desire to like make more money or having more cash or anything. As long as I have enough to leave, whatever I'm making, I'm reinvesting it or saving it. So. Was that was that always the case? Because the thing is, like, I think it it comes down to what your definition of success is, like. Are you successful if you're a multi-billionaire or are you successful because you created something that was in your head and you loved or maybe it's both? Like, what's, Did you feel like your definition of success changed and if it did, what, what were those? Oh, it definitely did. <laughs> um, when I was started, like, my definition of success was, I guess, to make a like, couple thousand of euros a month living life in my own term, being independent, not having a boss. Um, that was like the ultimate goal for me. Mm -hmm. um, regardless if I was creating something meaningful in the world, um, actually. That was like when I was 19, 20. Um, then I guess, yeah, it's, you know, it started to change. I mean, it actually changed a lot of time. Like success depends on like what you're facing, right? So when I arrived in... in in Bali and like three years ago and I lost everything I had. I didn't have much cash, but I lost all of it uh, from ATM skimming. And I ended up being like homeless without anything, um, no place to go. And I didn't know uh, how I would, you know, even eat the next week. Then success at that time looked like, uh, like a way different thing than what it looks like right now. It looked like uh, finding a way, whatever it is, so I could stay in Bali because that's what I wanted to do and you know find a place to stay having food and managing to make enough money so I could you know keep living here you mm -hmm. know that's what it looks like three years ago now I'm I'm building 
um, sustainable resort on an island, um, success looks like being able to receive the first guest uh, on the island and having them uh, telling me they had an amazing time and lived like a meaningful experience. That's what success um, looks like for me right now. Yeah. So I guess it really depends on what you're building, what are your expectations. Uh, yeah, really changes a lot. Mm -mm. I've never really looked at it that way. That's very interesting because usually when you hear about people talking about success, they look they look sort of 10, 20, 30 years ahead. Like this is the, the perfect vision of what I want to be and what I want to do. Whereas what you're saying is that it's whatever at the moment, you know, to, to, to make you happy at that point. And that's a definitely like that's a very interesting take on it. So you, you said you were you were like homeless for a bit just as you came to Bali. Oh. Did that, how, 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 was that before you, you did your e-commerce business or was it after? Yeah. It, it was before. So, well, to be fair, I, I don't want to like use the word homeless in, in, in a bad way. Um, yeah. I'm very mindful that some people doesn't, you know, have a, a choice and they don't have means to like, you know, I didn't sleep in the street. That's what I mean. Um, but I was hosted for free by a Balinese family and I managed to find a way for me to give them value and help them with their business and they would give me a room um, for free and food uh, for a month. Uh, so that was the situation I was in. And during this month when I was not helping them with their business, I would do everything I can and I would take every single freelancing gig I could take, whether it was writing, making videos, making a website, um, everything I could take. Yeah. Um, after that, at some point I had a job uh, in Bali um, it was the first time in my life I had a job. <laughs> what was the job? Um, it, I was, I mean, the title was like marketing advisor, but really I was just doing a lot of things. It was a marketing agency. Right. Um, we we're just, you know, helping with writing content, processes, stuff like that. Um, it was, it was a great experience, but after a month, I couldn't just stay in an office anymore. Like just a month, it took a month. That's all it took a month. <laughs> Only took a month, my first job. Um, and then I left uh, and, you know, back to the struggle of, okay, how am I going to make money? Yeah. Um, and then I just, you know, tripled down my efforts in um, taking any freelancing gig, you know, I could take so I could, you know, get some cash and, um, you know, stay in Bali for, you know, a bit longer all the time. Um, and that's, that's when I heard of uh, dropshipping and e-commerce. Um, so there was like this um, like remote agency that were doing a um, lot of different type of websites and stuff. And they had an e-com, um, <clears throat> a Shopify store to do for clients. Um, yeah. And I had no idea what was e-commerce. I mean, I know what it was, but I had no idea how to make a website or anything like that for like specifically for e-com. Yeah. And so, well, they told me it was like a, like a 3,000 euros gig. Um, it was Shopify, and I had no idea what was Shopify. And yeah. But because I really needed the money, I said that, of course, I could do it, you know? Yeah. And I spent a few nights, you know, like, not like sleepless nights, just learning about Shopify, how it works, how to create the store, like, how, how like, the whole thing is working, <laughs> uh, watch videos on YouTube and everything. And, and that's when I, I heard of dropshipping, you know? Uh, when I was doing those researches, and um, I guess it just, you know, stayed in my mind. Like, it turned out that uh, I didn't get the deal. So, they, I mean, the client just canceled. He didn't do the website. So, and because I learned all of this, I was like, well, this is not for nothing. So, 
Let's yeah. just see if I could do, you know, dropshipping. Yeah. So that, that's what led me to dropshipping. Yeah. So, so that's, that's what led you to do the dropshipping. What was the, what was, what were you selling? What was the product? Um, so <laughs> in the beginning, so I actually partnered with a friend of mine. I didn't have money, like any money back then. So I couldn't invest yeah. anything at all. Um, so I, I partnered with a friend of mine <clears throat> who also didn't know anything about e-commerce <laughs> at that time. And well, we basically did all of the things that you want to avoid when you're doing dropshipping. <laughs> like okay. all of the, like, the worst mistake you can possibly think about, we did them. Um, like we thought it would be a great idea to have as many products as possible because, uh -huh. well, Amazon's doing it. <laughs> it yeah. was like the dumbest idea ever. Um, we thought it was, it was a good idea to advertise our products in, in a hundred countries instead of focusing on a few markets. Anyway, all of the yeah. mistakes we did them. Um, and in the end, like we got some success after it was like two months and a half, uh, with one product, it was just a like a body shaper type of thing, something that you makes women look slimmer when they wear it. Uh, it's right. like a ridiculously like dumb product, but uh, turned out like on the French markets, uh, people would buy that for yeah. like, twenty bucks, and it would cost us like three bucks to buy it from China. So um, yeah. that's how you know how we got started, and yeah, that's our first winning product. So why did you decide to quit then? If you started getting the traction, you started getting the money, you actually started earning quite a bit of money. Why, why did you decide to quit? So, like, starting from there, like, from the day we managed to actually sell this product, uh, we sold, I think, like, 25,000 of them, something like that. Yeah. And we, we got, like, a very quick growth. Um, yeah. So, like, the first two months and a half, we lost money. Uh, like the last half of the third month, I think we did 20, 25K in sales. And then after that, for like six or seven months in a row, it was like 100K, something like that, um, oh. consistently. And then it went quickly and it was a lot of money for us. You know, back then, I, I well, my bank account was like minus 3,000, you know, when we started. Yeah. Uh, you know, so the first thing I, I did was like paying, paying all of my debts and stuff. But then, yeah. so... We got some traction, uh, we got successful with that, we got some money. But then that's the thing with dropshipping, you constantly have to either, so you have two ways. The way I'm saying you have two ways. First one is you keep looking for winning products, competing with every single person, you know, going into the markets. And, and it was like growing like crazy back then, it was in 2017. Mm -hmm. um, and then you always have to try new products, um, try new ads, try new creatives, blah, blah, blah. It's like like the whole process over and over again. And it's extremely boring and not fulfilling. Um, or you have to make a brand from the products you're already selling. And instead of trying to find new customers all the time, you can uh, create a customer base, you know, and then you sell multiple products to them and, uh, you know, under the brand that you're building. Um, and like none of these ideas like were very appealing to me so mm -hmm. like yeah i mean we had some conversations with my partner you know back then and he wanted to get out um i mean he had the situation with his dad who was like had a cancer and stuff and he wanted to spend time with his dad yeah. um 
And at the same time, numbers, you know, started to get not that good, you know? And like, I guess like the whole thing and like me being, ending up alone in the business, you know, with the team of people we had, and like, I lost like all the desire, you know, I, I, that was required to keep this business going. And I was like, I'm not going to keep like selling body shape words to women for the rest of my life, of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so was it was it's probably was the case that your main driver was money. You got the money, and then there was nothing after that. This is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. So well, like I, the, the, the old tale of money doesn't bring happiness. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like having more money wasn't in, interesting for me anymore. Um, not that I mean we didn't make millions, right? But I had some, and it was the first time of my life I had some. And yeah. then I was like, you know, I was thinking what are like the smart, I mean, the things that I could do now with that money that feels, you know, better to me. So, yeah. and it wasn't, it wasn't like doing dropshipping anymore. So it was pretty much overnight, like overnight. It was like, um, you know what, just, you know, like, fuck that. I'm just closing the store. That's mm. pretty much how it happened. Right. Yeah. Like 80% of my YouTube ads at the moment are now people selling variety of courses on how to easily make money <laughs> online through drop shipping and Shopify and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, uh -uh. It's it's not that easy, is it? Like, what would you advise people that actually want to get into drop shipping after seeing a YouTube ad or something? Because you, yours is a success story, right? You got the money, right? So <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would advise them to make sure why they want to do dropshipping in the first place. Um, like I've seen, I've seen people, for example, who they would have their business and like there's not dropshipping, they would have their own business and, and it's not like working amazing yet. So they would decide to start doing dropshipping, you know, uh, so, so they would get some cash flow and then they could invest in their business. And I think, I mean, this, for example, is possibly a wrong way a wrong reason why you would need to do dropshipping. People assume dropshipping is easy. You know, mm. you know, it's just like, oh, I'm just going to make some side money. I'm just going to sell stuff from China online and, uh, you know, I'm going to make like a few thousand dollars uh, profit a month. This is not how it works. Like, when we were doing it, we were like full-time doing this, you know? Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it takes like a lot of time and a lot of energy um, to actually make, a, you know, some decent profit with dropshipping. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the main advice would be just for people to ask themselves why they really do want to do dropshipping in the first place. That's yeah. the first thing people should do. And the competition is really high as well now. I mean, you said in 2017, you kept seeing grow a lot. And now, yeah. you know, in 2019, with all these courses available and all this, uh, like, romanticizing how easy it is, I think there's yeah. even more competition yeah. now, isn't it? Yeah. Like, well, the thing with dropshipping is like, it's pretty easy to understand. Like the barriers at the entry for dropshipping are, are non-existent. Like yeah. anybody can subscribe to Shopify, um, make a Facebook ad account and sell stuff on Shopify. And because anybody could do it, then the competition is, is really high. And yeah. it makes, I mean, for me right now, it would make zero sense to do dropshipping again. I'm glad I did it. I'm mm. happy with whatever I learned from it. I'm happy with the money I did with it. But if tomorrow I have no money whatsoever remaining, I would I would probably not do dropshipping. Like hundred percent sure. 
um, because the competition is going crazy. Facebook ads are getting like crazy expensive. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying mm-hmm. if someone wants to do that, um, I mean, they better, they better create their own brand, you know, right, you know, in the beginning and yeah. not trying to sell like this AliExpress shit and everything. Because like the mm-hmm. bars, the entry are very, very, very low, right? Say, if I compare that to creating um, Reconnect, um, this island in Sulawesi, then the barriers at the entry there are extremely high. Yeah. Like, you need to speak Indonesian. So that's the first thing. So that's like yeah. the first very, very limiting um, thing. Like, 200 million people in the world uh, speak Indonesian. We're 7 billion. So, you know, you already filter out a lot of people. Then, yeah. like, you need to be in Indonesia to understand how business works here. You need to have a foreign investment company. Um, you like you need to be able to go there back and forth. Like, there's a lot of barriers that make it not impossible, but very hard for other people uh, who'd like to, you know, like create a business, say, on the, on, on the same area, right? Which means it's also very, it's also riskier for me because mm-hmm. then. Um, you know, we need to attract people there. We need to be good with marketing and everything. Um, and we take, you know, like the risk is that nobody's going to show up. And on the other hand, when we manage to do that and to have people there, you know, we're good to go for like 10 or 15 years. And the upside we get from that is insanely high, right? Mm-hmm. Because we own the land, we own the properties we're building there. Um, there is the business going on. So like, you know, in the end of the day, like, what we can get out of it, like say mm. profit-wise, upside-wise, is also like like way, way, way higher than what people could ever get with dropshipping. So, I mean, did, yeah. did you realize those barriers? So let's talk about Reconnect just a bit. So did you, yeah. did you realize those barriers to entry when you started, or was that something you've, you've had to learn along the way? Um, it's both. I was definitely aware of... Uh, uh, some of those barriers. So I've been living in Indonesia for three years and, and I speak Indonesian. So mm. I definitely knew that that was a strength and that was like a very, very good thing um, about, you know, my journey here. Um, so I was aware of that. Then like some barriers are about like a, a mindset that you need to have to make business here. You need to be like way more patient that what, you know, people are in, in Europe and USA in general, like, because the work ethic here, the way culture works and everything is very different and you need to be very patient and resilient to, to manage to uh, find your way through, find your way through that. Uh, what, what's the, what's, what's the difference? Oh, um, um, <laughs> a lot of them. So <laughs> what's the main one? Like what, what, what made it? that you needed to be patient is that people work less hours is that it's more relaxed or is something else like the way people are working in general is different so um say in europe or usa you would just hire a contractor um Mm -hmm. and they would have their team they would bring the material they would build the thing you would pay them um you know and there would be some delays and uh, you would you know complain about that you would settle that and you know it's pretty much done like here I mean, especially there in this region of Indonesia, which is like a like a newly emerging region, um, finding workers who know how to work is very hard. Um, then there's like a 
whole religion thing, right? So depending where you are in Indonesia, it's like in Bali, there are uh, people are Hindu, most of them, right? Yeah. So they have a lot of ceremonies every day um, and, and you need to do with that. Like people are not going to work um, like 40 hours a week, you know, sharp. You need to compose with the fact that people might have ceremonies or uh, go to their family or like, like any kind of things uh, that you will need to deal with. There's no other way around. Um, in Sulawesi, like the majority of the people are Muslims. So, which means, for example, when it was Ramadan, it was almost impossible for me to get anything done there. Yeah. <laughs> like, those things that, well, you find out on the way, of course, you can anticipate some of them. Like, most of them, you learn how to deal with, uh, with them on the way. And that would discourage a lot of people from doing business there in the first place. Did, did, that, did that experience change your own mindset of what the word working means? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, like when, I'm, when I'm there, like a working day for me looks like waking up in the morning, jumping on the boats, going to these small islands, uh, <laughs> drinking a coconut, talking with workers, you know, saying like what they're you know, up to, what are the progresses. Um, you know, like, and then you can see them like taking a nap, like almost anywhere on the island, you know, when they're not working, <laughs> because this is like tough work, right? Like, it's like, they call it heavy work. So, um, yeah. and it's very sunny there. So it's, it's hot and everything. So they would work like a few hours in the morning. Then when it's too hot, they would take a, take some rest, you know, uh, then they would start again. Then they would just go take a boat, go to feed, go get some some fishes you know go back cook the fish you know that's yeah. like very different mindset yeah <laughs> so talk to me a bit more about reconnect like what why did you come up with the idea and and sort of you know what's what's the what's the vision for it so i i had the idea of the project after i saw the island in the first place so what happened was that i went to the islands in the beginning because a friend of mine um, knew the person who was selling it and mm. I thought it would be fun I, I wasn't intending to buy it I, I just thought it would be fun to you know like go to a new island that you know like where nobody's almost nobody's living and and yeah. you know to just check it out and just spend a few days in, in the area um, Indonesia has like 17,000 islands so you know like you can't possibly visit all of them in the whole lifetime so um, when you can see one that is like like nobody's living there and it's remote and stuff. It's always fun. So yeah. I, I went there and the moment when I arrived on the, on the beach, I remember it was like so quiet, like, yeah. like real, real quiet. You know, it was so peaceful. Um, you wouldn't hear like any car, motorbike or like any, anything from civilization that you would hear there. Um, and I just, I just loved the vibe so much. So we spent a few hours there, grabbed some coconuts, you know, tried to open them, and um, I took a few pictures and videos. And then when I was on my way back on the boat, I just couldn't help thinking about it. I was like, I need to do something there. I need to do something there. It's amazing, right. you know. And yeah, and I, I, I mean, I kept thinking about it, and I started to have some ideas. Like, I was like, I didn't decide to buy the land at that time. I was like, what, what would I do there? if I were to do something on this island, you know, mm. just what if, you know, like a what if yeah. type of question. And um, yeah, and it all started from there. Like, 
um, I went there again like several times. You know, then I decided to buy the land. Um, we did the transaction. I knew it would be something that needed to have some sustainability into it uh, because it wouldn't make any sense to build like huge concrete buildings on this beautiful island. It would make zero sense. Yeah. Um, so I started to think like, um, okay, if I was about to open something there, what would I, you know, like it to be? Uh, bungalows or tents or, you know, and I just started to shape things in my mind and the name Reconnect came like naturally, you know, I was just in front of my laptop back in Bali and I was like, okay, so um, how are we going to call this project, you know? And in the beginning, I just called it by the name of the island, yeah. um, like Buka Buka uh, Sustainable Resort. And then one day I just, you know, sat in front of the laptop and I was like, Oh, that's it. Reconnect. That's how I'm going to call this, you know? Yeah. And from there, just, you know, started to play around with ideas, share with people. That was like a big part of it, sharing about the idea with people, mm-hmm. you know, so I could get some um, insights and feedback and they would tell me like what they like, what they would see there or stuff like that. Um, yeah. And right now, like the vision is to create a place um that is definitely sustainable in this way that um, the goal is to not, say, burn, um, you know, fuel to have electricity with a generator, but to have it like 100% solar powered. Um, right. We have a bit of water um, on top of the islands, but I don't want to deplete the island from its resources. So um, yeah. we're going to have a, a very small scale desalination system, but that, that will be enough for us for our own water consumption there. Um so, and it will be solar powered as well. Um, the bungalows we're going to build will be, so it's like woods, like mostly woods. We mm-hmm. don't we don't use concrete uh, for the foundation or anything. We're using the resources that we can find. Um, and we do this thing that I'm counting every single tree that we need to cut to build the, the bungalows. And um, like next year, we're gonna just like make like the total of these trees, and we're gonna plant, replant twice this amount of trees on the island, to, like amazing. give back, give back to the island. So just kind of small things. I love that. Um, and the idea with the place itself, is like, so I mean, the main thing, like, what people are gonna do there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you arrive on this small island, and we will have those activities that people will expect. So you will do, you know, snorkeling and swimming around. Like we have a coral reef around the islands. Um, you will, we made some like wooden small uh, kayak boats. People can just go around the island with it by themselves. Uh, yeah. It's like paddling boats. Um, we will do trekking. So like you can cross the island from one side to the other, you know. Um, that would yeah. be fun like to do like sunrise treks. So you start like around 4 or 5 a.m. You cross the jungle, you know, and you arrive and you see the sunrise on the other side of the island and you have breakfast there. Like this kind of yeah. things. Um, so this is like more like water and physical activities that will be available there. And then there's the whole thing about reconnection with locals and other people. So there on the island, they, I mean, in this area of Indonesia, they have skills. And I want to at the same time share with locals how they can um, make a business out of those skills. And at the same time, um, having visitors to the island learning new skills. Um, to take a practical example, um, 
you know how now coconut oil is really like famous around the world for being healthy and everything. And the funny thing is very expensive in Europe and USA. When you come here, like coconut oil is just something that, you know, they just do like they're cooking rice, they're cooking fish, they make their own coconut oil every day, you know? Yeah. And, and they have a manual and traditional way to do it. And we want to do that on the island because we have coconuts is one of the main resources we have. So yeah. one of the activities would be the coconut journey. So um, like coconut trees are like amazing because you can do like hundreds of things with, with them. Uh, whereas it's the coconut itself or the, or the wood from the tree. So we will have this workshop where people will learn and will actually do things by themselves. So either making coconut balls, like coconut balls, like the one you see, like the yeah. smoothie bowl people like uh, put on Instagram when they're in Bali, yeah, uh, yeah. or making your own coconut oil, and you know why not bringing some you know back home in a small glass bottle that we recycled, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's like the whole, the whole vision of it is like to create like synergies between what is there and what people could bring by going to the island and take back home. So. When they go back home after spending a week there, they're not only going to have like these beautiful pictures of living on an island, which is cool, but you can get anywhere. Um, yeah. But also they will have like this new like um, mindset and like learning things that, you know, they will, um, you know, share with locals and learn things from them. Yeah. That is so impressive. That's, that's <laughs> that is so impressive. I love, I love how how big your vision is and I, I, I love the fact that you have even the balls to think of oh i'm actually gonna buy an island oh and i'm actually gonna build something you know that that takes a lot of courage to do um and that's something i i think listening to your story going through from you know chasing money to you know m cycling around the world trying to discover yourself moving to a completely different country uh, and 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 then just trying to build something there that's bigger than you, bigger than money, and bigger than anything else, and just trying mm -hmm. to help all the ones you know, all the people around you. That is really inspiring, and that's something that um, I truly hope that you'll be very very successful at. Um, what's what, at what stage is Reconnect at the moment? Can people already go on there? Um, so we're not taking bookings right now. We we will have small groups of people. Um, experiencing the, so I call it the MVP of the resorts. So, yeah. <laughs> um, well, this is not the way people build resorts in general, but I, I, I thought it would be interesting to do it by iterations and learning, um, you know, by doing it. So we have the first bungalow that is done already. Now we yeah. are uh, starting to make the glamping tents there. Um, there's like a whole process of ordering the fabric somewhere and making the woodwork in another place, you know, and combining these together. It's, it's challenging and interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I say in August, we will be able to have small groups of people there um, yeah. already in August, like this August. So just around the corner, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and just, you know, like, like, it will definitely not be, like, complete, you know? Um, there will be, like, I don't know, like, like tons of things to do. However, we will have water, electricity, and the first bungalows, which means people can come there and experience um, life there already. Yeah. So, and I know, and that's, that's the thing I can't wait is like to have other people there and to see the yeah. reaction. Like, what do they like? What would they see differently? You know, what is like, 
what are like upsides, downsides, you know, what we can improve. And I think if we do like the whole resort and then we realize that we, we fucked up with a lot of things, then yeah. it's going to be more, you know, costly, like time-wise and, and finance-wise, um, you know, to redo things. But if we have the first unit and people can experience it already, yeah. um, we're they're very happy because it's very exclusive. Like right now, if, if you go to the island tomorrow and you're living there, it's pretty much only you on the island, you know? Yeah. And I mean, some stuff, but like, it's going to be your island, you know? Yeah. Nobody's yeah. going to be there. You yeah. know, um, and and like some people like this uh, like exclusivity type of thing. Yeah, I love that approach because you focus on the people, not only what's sort of in your head and how do you think it's gonna be, but you actually look at what other people actually want and look for. Um, where can people best follow you and the progress of you building this island out? Mm -hmm. So. We, I mean, we have the website of the project, reconnect.id. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're doing a crowdfunding campaign. So we're raising funds um, specifically to bring a desalination system to the islands, okay. um, which, which I believe will be one of the, like, one of the best things we could do because this water will also be given away uh, for free uh, to locals who are living there, like the, the few locals living there. Um, who are struggling with water, they need to climb them like the, like there's like a small mount um, uh, hill, but it's through the jungle. They have to walk for like an hour to reach the water, bring yeah. in you know, gallons and stuff. It's, they're really struggling with that. So I, we're raising influence now um, on Indiegogo. Um, I'm, I'm going to send you the link of the campaign. Uh, we actually already yeah. like 41% of the goal in five days. Um, wow. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, like I'm, I'm really happy with that. Uh, people very supportive, and and like that's a good thing. People can pre-book their stay on the island through the campaign. Uh, and right now we have like crazy rates. Like it's like we have like eighty percent off in some of the offers, so people can spend a weekend there for like a hundred bucks or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's um, insane. And a good way, you know, to start having people and see, you know, how they enjoy it, how they like it, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like the website and the campaign of the project. And I'm sharing on my own website, thomasdespin.com. Okay. Awesome, man. I bet you're excited. You're waiting for yes. how that's actually going to turn out. Um, as I said before, I'm really impressed with everything you do and the fact that you're doing it not just for yourself, but for, for everybody else and helping the community and the country itself. I'll be following it very, very closely. Um, and I'm very looking forward to having you on again uh, and talking about all the positive feedback and all the great stories that you'll, 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 you can share with us um, of the people being on the island. So best of luck with everything, man. Thank you, Jonas. Thanks for having me.